We have been in a series in the last five weeks called Down to Earth, and we've been talking about the implications of the incarnation, Jesus putting on flesh. What does that mean for our daily life? How does that affect us? And, and we've considered different aspects of it. We talked about God with us, now in flesh appearing. He's Emmanuel. He is present. He became our brother. He took on flesh. He took on uh, the experience of humanity. And um, because of that, he is now our bodily high priest in heaven going before the Father. He has shown us the way to live a holy, earthly life. Praise God. Not only was he God with us, but he's also God for us. And we talked about the, the way Jesus not only lived as a human, but lived as a servant as a human. He humbled himself even to his humiliation. Uh, the, the word we looked at in Philippians 2 was kenosis. He emptied himself out for you. He was emptied so you could be filled. And today we're going to take our incarnation, incarnation talk to its completion. We're going to talk about uh, the continuation of the incarnate work in us, the great mystery of the Christ in his church by the power of the Spirit. And uh, we're calling today God in us, with us, for us, in us. And I am going to ask you to stand as we read God's word. If you're joining us online today, if you're part of our uh, streaming family, we're so thankful for you. Would you give it up for those streaming today? We are uh, we're trusting that when you're listening to this on your TV speakers and your car speakers and your AirPod, the Lord shows up and speaks to your heart and changes your life. Let us uh, look at God's word, the source of our thoughts today. We're going to start in Colossians where Paul speaks of God's continued presence and power through his church um, I'm not going to ask you to read anything aloud to me, but I may ask you to repeat some words for emphasis. It says, To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Then Jesus prayed at the Last Supper, in John 17, I have given them your word, and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. Let's say that together. I am sending them into the world. And then Jesus charged us just before his ascension into heaven in Matthew 28. He came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Someone say all authority. Somebody say all authority. Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. God, anoint your words to our hearts. Lord, help us understand you in a new way today, and challenge us, Lord, as we turn a page into a new year. Let it be a new year, new yes from us to obey and adore you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you be seated? At the moment of salvation, conversion, faith, regeneration, something happens in us. Our nature changes. The principle, the operating principle that is at work within us switches from our flesh, being people living according to the flesh, the sinful nature, to all of a sudden people who are still flesh and blood, people living in a bodily life on earth, but living according to the principle of grace. What happens is we were in a state of separation from God and the decay of sin in our lives, switching to a state of uh, fellowship with God through the power of the Holy Spirit and resurrection, miracle life dwelling inside of us from death to life. We look at this in Ephesians chapter 2 and 3, how we've switched over from living in the grave to living by the Spirit. And uh, in, this, in this state of change, we understand that the Holy Spirit 
When he, the the same resurrection power that the Spirit raised Christ from the dead with is now living inside of us. Indwelling us. Abiding with us. And that concept is a metaphor that is sometimes difficult for us to understand. He takes up residence inside of us. The Holy Spirit is living in my heart. What does that mean? What does that mean? I think that um, we each have a conception of God. We take everything we've learned from God's Word, every Sunday school class we've ever been in, every godly grandmother and grandfather or person that's spoken into our life, and and even the godly examples that God has shown us a little bit of His nature through. And and we kind of make it this composite of all we've learned and experienced about God and place it in an image in our imagination that we think of when we pray and when we worship. C.S. Lewis talked about this in Mere Christianity. He called it the bright blur. When he prays, he's got this, this conception of God in his mind that he knows is blurry, that he knows falls short, that he knows can't capture the glory and the essence of God, but it's just his experience. He's taken to all he's learned, and he knows God goes so far beyond his imagination. But he He has this bright blur that he thinks of. And sometimes when I think about the Holy Spirit who is constantly in us, if you're a person of faith, if you've converted to Christ and and your nature has changed, the Holy Spirit's abiding in you. And, And sometimes when I think about what that means, the Holy Spirit working in my mind, my heart, my body, my will, my emotions, the Holy Spirit speaking to me, convicting me, pricking my heart sometimes, weeding out things that don't need to be there. Doing cer- sometimes when I think about the Holy Spirit in me, um, I have a lot of different word images and pictures in my mind. And when, I, when we talk about the Holy Spirit indwelling us at salvation, filling us, being in us, what, what do we picture? What does that mean? Is the Holy Spirit in there like a cockpit? sitting there with buttons and levers and, and moving things around, you know, uh, telling us what to do and, and trying to influence our behavior, pressing the buttons as we react to the, the turbulence of daily life and beep, boop, beep, boop, do the dishes for your wife. Um, beep, boop, oh, we're praying, close your eyes, close your eyes. Is he there saying, oh, there's someone in the street, give them a dollar, be compassionate. Is, is it like a cockpit? Is it like a call center cubicle where the Holy Spirit is just got his headset on and he's drinking stale coffee at a desk, waiting for his phone to ring, playing Candy Crush, just waiting for us to pray and ask him for help? Is the Holy Spirit in us like like in a, a UFC octagon, cage fighting all our sinful desires, just just knocking the teeth out of our pride and selfishness and anger? Like what is going on in there? What is he doing? When we say the Holy Spirit indwells us, is it like the kids movie Inside Out where there's all our emotions, our little characters inside of us, and he's just going around hugging everybody and making us feel bad? What is the Holy Spirit doing? I, uh, I like how Thomas Aquinas described the Holy Spirit's work in our life. He said that the Holy Spirit brings the principle of salvation. He flips a switch He starts it in us, and it can never be turned off. He describes the Holy Spirit as an engine of redemption that's constantly running under the hood, and it's it's producing. It's working out our salvation in our daily bodily life. Um, Once that redemption got started up and running, it just can't be kicked off, and it's producing eternal glory from our daily life. And the Bible communicates the breadth of the Spirit's role in the world. It teaches us that the, the Holy Spirit is convicting the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. The Bible tells us that He is our comforter. He is our counselor. He is illuminating the Scripture to us. He helps us pray beyond what we could pray on our own. He empowers us with heavenly power, not worldly power, but with heavenly power clothed from on high with dunamis, dynamite, energy, something that we can't produce on our own that gives us strength for boldness to witness about Jesus Christ. He gives us wisdom. He preserves the unity of the church 
when the enemy wants to divide us, when the enemy wants us to operate according to selfishness inside the body, he helps us put others before ourselves and work towards reconciliation in offense. He develops holy fruit and gives holy gifts to build up others. If I could sum it all up, the Holy Spirit indwelling us, what is he doing? God in us. He is continuing the work of Jesus Christ in this world through you, his church. He's doing everything Jesus was doing in you, through you, for the world. I really love what, uh, what this man, Friar Thomas White, says about the incarnation and how the incarnation plays out in the life of the believer. He is, uh, Thomas White is the president of the Angelicum. He's like the rector of this college, this seminary in the middle of Rome. And um, uh, several popes have gone to that college. It's been, it's been a college for a thousand years. And um, while I don't agree with all of Thomas uh, White's theology, I really love how he describes the incarnation in the life of the believer. He says that incarnational living is cross-shaped. It's cross-shaped. Um, and this is what he means. He says, and, and I'm going to use the screen for help today to get this image in our head as you think about how God wants to develop you in 2023, who God wants you to be as an incarnational person, God in you. This is what he's trying to do. Well, well first, if you look at the, the shape of the cross, if you think about that upward direction of the shape, God wants to grow you up in him. He wants to connect you with the Father in worship. The Word tells us that the Holy Spirit is in us crying out, Abba, Daddy, to our Father God, connecting us in relation, intimate relationship with the Father. That's what He came to do, to reconcile and restore you to the Father. And not only am I talking about our, our worship experience gatherings in this room where we're singing or humming, or maybe you're like the worship team and choir before church this morning playing kazoos in the background. Not only does he want to connect us to the Father as we express our praise and adoration, but he wants to grow us up into the image of the Son of God so that we conform to the crucifixion, so that we look like Jesus in our attitudes in our desires, in our will, in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions, which become behaviors, which become habits. He wants us to grow up into the image of Christ more connected to the Father every single day. He wants to grow us up. Secondly, he wants to root us down. So if we think about the cross, we're, we're, we have this center line, and it's going up, and it's going down. And this is something we're going to consider today. He is cultivating holy humanity in creation. Holy humanity. God didn't save you to be an angel. And we're going to talk about that in just a few moments. Um, in, in the third thought we're going to consider today, as we look at the cross piece of the cross, is that God in us is reaching out to the world. He wants to stretch to others just like Jesus did in self-emptying love, self-emptying love. So as we think about the shape of the cross and God's desire for our lives as we live out the incarnation day by day, um, we're going to look at these three thoughts today. Now, the commitment here to our worship, his commitment to our humanity, his commitment uh, to our witness. If you're taking notes today, I want you to write this down. Guiding, grounded, godliness. He is trying to guide the world, influence and impact the world with the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ uh, through us. He wants us to be grounded in the creation uh, uh, around us, and he wants us to be godly, growing up into him. Guiding, grounded, godliness is what our life should look like. He wants us to be grounded, caring about our family caring about culture, and living in connection with creation. God wants you to care about the community that you're in, and he wants us to be glorifying him, growing up to glorify him more and more. First uh, thought today about this cross-shaped redemption is growing up, connecting with the Father in worship. John 3:34 says, For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God gives the Spirit without 
limit. God wants to grow you, and there are no limitations that he is placing on your growth. Life in the spirit is without limit. Life, according to the flesh, has only limits. It has only rock bottoms. Life in the spirit removes every glass ceiling of your life. They're broken. The ways that you were victimized in your life can no longer limit your forgiveness and your freedom. The, the psychological makeup that you have, whatever your personality type is, whatever the personality tests have defined you as, whatever uh, personality God has given you, can be the most healthy uh, image of God reflecting his glory, personality. There's no limit on it. He's taken off any framework uh, that would oppress who you can be in him. There's no psychological makeup or personality type that cannot develop a fruit of the Spirit in Christ. Well, you don't know the family I came from. I can never be patient. Ooh, that goes against my theology. That goes against the principle of redemption that was started in you and can't be shut off. Well, I've been victimized. This happened to me, this happened to me, this happened to me, and I just, I can't have self-control when it comes to these things. That goes against the principle of redemption that is at work within you. The Holy Spirit wants to grow you without limit. But most of all, he restores your connection to God. You can experience God, sense him, hear his voice, understand his word, receive gifts freely, worship that goes beyond adoring God to pleasing him with your life. You don't receive the fruits of the Spirit when you get saved. Did you know that? When you all of the sudden come to your senses and choose Jesus, surrender the throne of your heart, you stop doing life your way, you start doing life His way, He doesn't just drop off a grocery bag of the fruit of the Spirit and attach them to all your limbs. That's not how growth works. He gives you the seeds of the Spirit, not the fruit of the Spirit. You grow the fruit of the Spirit as He works His way out within you. There are a lot of things that stunt our growth. And two of them are these other parts of incarnational living. When we no longer want to connect with creation around us, and we stop rooting down, and we no longer care about the souls around us and the things God cares about, and we stop reaching out. We want more of God, we want more of God, we want more of God, but we don't care about his heart for the world. We want more of God, we want more of God, we want more of God, but we don't take responsibility for the creation, his creation that he's placed us inside of. Why would God give us more of him if we don't share his mission, if we don't honor the desires of his spirit? And there's, there's another way we stop growing up and being conformed into this incarnational life, the shape of the cross. It's when we don't tend to the flame of our faith. When we let our appetite for the world take away our appetite for God. We're going into a month of spiritual emphasis here at Trinity. We're calling them seek weeks. We're going to fast and pray. We're going to tell God that um, the, the growls of our stomach do not compare to the hunger of our souls for his kingdom to come within us, where we, we just make a statement to God that uh, our next meal is not as important to us as seeing him respond to the prayer requests that we're placing in front of him. We're going to have some special opportunities just for us to gather and recalibrate our appetite, just to sit in worship just to be in this place. We'll have some guest speakers, yeah. We're going to have exciting things happening in the room. But to just sit at, at his feet and maybe stop kneeling at the feet of some other things that we've plugged into. And it, it, it's going to be great. It's going to grow our desire to worship and to read his word and to spend time with him and to abide with him. Really looking forward at adjusting the months, adjusting our schedule to make room for his desires in our heart, for, to make room for growth. The second thing I, I want to share with you today 
is uh, rooting down, rooting down, cultivating holy humanity. When Jesus saves us, he is restoring our humanity the way God intended it. New creation, holy humanity. We know that we were made in the image of God, but that image is vandalized and warped and just massacred by the effects of sin, the curse of sin that has, um, has applied itself to our human state. But when we are saved, when we're saved, God restores in us on the inside through the renewal of the Holy Spirit, the image of his son. He restores in us true humanity, holy humanity, but he doesn't remove us from the earth. He doesn't remove us from the earth. Why? We're going to talk about that in just a moment. It's a provocative question. Some people don't want earthly spirituality. They want, uh, the phrase is called negative spirituality. And negative spirituality over earthly spirituality means uh, thinking that godliness only happens through self-deprivation. That the mind is good and the body is evil, so we should reject all sensory pleasure. We should live as uh, there was a, uh, this, this unbiblical and unhealthy thought was present in the aesthetes, an early uh, uh, kind of a group parallel to the early church that said you can only connect with God through denying the earthly life. And uh, this idea is that we should reject all sensory pleasure and deny your physical life because it is unimportant and lesser. Disconnect from society, which is unworthy, and this planet, which is undesirable. This snuffs out our joy in this life and snuffs out our hope in eternity. Because in eternity, we're going to live in a glorified bodily life. We are going to have bodily worship of God for, for all eternity. We are living in God's creation, and right now, even under the curse of sin, the heavens still declare the glory of God for you to enjoy and for me to enjoy. Uh, honestly, this worldview has creeped into modern Christianity more and more and more. And, and it is just unbiblical. When God saves you, you do not become an angel who occasionally touches down in the dirt every once in a while. You become something which Hebrews teaches us is better than the angels. Do you know that when somebody, if somebody were to stand up at your funeral someday and says, well, they're an angel now, they are insulting you. Because God is, has made you an overcomer. In Hebrews, we see the incarnational path Jesus takes and it says he was made a little lower than the angels so that he would be glorified and be the name above every name and, and, and be at the right hand of the Father and receive all glory and power and honor forever and ever. And then all who believe in him are also resurrected. And after they live, uh, let me just pause here. When we're saved, your salvation does purchase for you freedom from all tiredness, sickness, suffering, pain, and death, but not right now. The Word teaches us this, that someday the salvation, if you've converted and, and surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ and this principle of redemption we're talking about, is at work in you. It's already purchased for you freedom from all those things, but not until our resurrection when the mortal is clothed in immortality. That's when that is happening. What, what makes that happen? Your faith. If you've come to Christ, it's already happened. However, we live this bodily life suffering. And the Word teaches us that we consider these sufferings nothing because of the glory that's in store for us that vastly outweighs every suffering. But the suffering is still important. If when we were saved and baptized, we come up out of the water and all of a sudden we're no longer tired anymore, we're no longer hungry, all our boo-boos are gone, all of our, our pains and aches and, and genetic disorder, everything's gone. I can tell you that there would be a rush 
a revival of salvation, but it would be out of the wrong motives. People would no longer be choosing Christ in faith, they would be choosing Christ out of selfishness. Not making him the true king of their hearts, no matter what, from this day forward till death do we part, they would be making him the king of their hearts for their own selfish gain. And that, I, I love how Pascal says this. He says, God has given men enough light so that we are without excuse. And he's also given us enough obscurity so that we have to freely choose him in faith. That's important. That's important. But back to this thought about an earthly spirituality. God wants you to be earthly, not worldly. Earthly, not worldly. This planet is for us. There is beauty to find. Some Christians become so unrelatable because they're trying to create a discarnate bubble for them to live in, where they no longer have to interact with creation anymore. They become uh, uh, rooted in this untouchable Christian utopia rather than living in the creation that God's made for us. If you have achieved an insulated, untouchable life, you have missed who Jesus was, and it is not the life of Christ. He was touchable. He was eating and drinking in friendships, at weddings, at funerals, at festivals. Jesus was out there. He was doing construction. He was hiking and sailing and fishing. Eating, drinking, and being merry are godly exercises. Gluttony, drunkenness, and recklessness are ungodly exercises. The challenge for the Christian is to live with earthly spirituality that has the discernment of the Holy Spirit that is not polluted by the world, that lives faith out in front of other people connected in this creation that we're in, rooted in a holy humanity as a new creation, that allows us to experience aspects of God's love and joy which can only be communicated to a created being by sensuous experience. Something of God flows into us when we experience the blue of the sky. You should learn something about God and it should affect your worship. When you taste the sweetness of honey. Angels don't know that. You do. Cold water on a hot day, waking up rested, after a good night's sleep. I feel God in that pillow. (laughs) The challenge of our spirituality is to open ourselves up to God, communicating his presence through beauty, sight, smell, and taste without allowing the enemy to manipulate our senses and uh, give in to temptation to live a sensual life rather than a life by faith. Faith comes first. All my experiences have to align themselves with my faith. We can't get it the other way around. Pastor George calls this fun with favor. Fun with favor. Spiritual joy and worth don't have to be rescued and protected from matter and the senses. There is spiritual joy and worth in this earthly life. I think, I just want to pause here for one more second. Men, I think men struggle with this. Um, Guys, if I could talk to you for a moment. Um, I think we struggle with this because we only see Jesus and Paul and the apostolic college and those leaders that they raise. We we only see them operating in scripture with an earthly spirituality in a few activities yeah, Jesus is walking and hiking and living with his friends, and he's, he's fishing and he's sailing. But we, we don't get a front row seat to just seeing the Messiah with his buddies. We don't, always, uh, we don't always see that blatantly word for word in the text. It's there, but sometimes, guys, we feel like because we don't necessarily see that clearly that we have to separate and compartmentalize our lives our lives. We feel like we have to hide our interests in dirt bikes or Xbox or golf or restaurants or soccer or graphic design or, or um, bowling, if you, you know, if, if you're into bowling. <laughs> we just don't feel like, like, 
like, where is God in wakeboarding and skydiving? And, and where is God in, in coffee with my, where is God in those things? And I, I pray today that you can get a, a broader view of your Messiah who wants to be your friend and wants to be shoulder to shoulder with you, enjoying the creation around you. You don't feel like you're sinning if you're recreating. That, I think the enemy wants to rob us. He wants to rob us of, of the beauty of God's creation. Um, you, don't, you don't need to separate uh, fun from your, your faith. Faith comes first and fun will flow behind it. But God wants you to have an earthly spirituality, being Jesus' people in these bodies on this planet, living according to your supernature or your grace nature, um, and not according to that natural human nature, because a new spirit is ruling us. If you're taking notes, write this down. He wants us to live a taken-up life in a fallen-down world, taken up with him. Jesus was taken up in his glorified body, not without his glorified body, but in his glorified body, he was taken up. Just that image of the ascension should inspire us and give us joy and hope that we could live a, glori- a, a life that glorifies God in this earthly body. And that's why the scripture said that we read this morning, Christ in us, the hope of glory. It's not the evidence of glory in our physical life. Outwardly, we're wasting away day by day, the scripture says. It is the hope of glory. What is glory? Glory is everything the believer has in their heavenly state. Everything that's already been purchased for you. That whole inheritance that the Holy Spirit is a down payment assurance of in your heart. Inwardly, you're being renewed day by day with that hope, that living hope of the glory that is to come. The experience of Jesus Christ face to face, no veil. Face to face, no blur. That's for you and that's for me. Um, Romans 8.18 says, Our present sufferings, we should consider them not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Praise God. Praise God. He wants you to live an earthly, bodily life. You can learn from him not just in the blueness of the sky, but also the pain of your suffering. He will reveal himself in those moments in you. Um, Do not separate yourself from creation. Anthony, are you telling me that I need to go outside more in 2023? Yes, I am. I am. Do I need to engage in my community a little bit more and consider the world around me, uh, the earth around me, let me say? God wants you to be earthly, not worldly. Yes, yes. Uh, Third thought as we consider this cross shape is reaching out, reaching out. Stretching to others and self-emptying love Jesus says in Matthew 22, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, right? We're talking about that vertical part of the cross. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important, equally important, equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Incarnational churches equip believers to get out into the world and live out their faith Boldly, Jesus was present, and Jesus was emptying himself out humbly as a servant. So we need to be present and emptying ourselves out as a servant. The Holy Spirit is at work in us to get us to do these things. Find empty people that need to be filled with the person of the Holy Spirit. I don't know where to be present, and I don't know how to empty myself out. Find people that are empty Spiritually empty, they're living according to that old principle, separated from God, and and God is being patient with them, giving them time to realize this isn't working out. This isn't cutting it. Find somebody and live out your faith in a sacrificial, loving way. Stretch to do life with them. Meet them in their interests. Saddle up next to them. Pour out your friendship to them. Pour out your honor on them. Pour out your love. And then pour out your testimony. Pour out your witness. In a world full of suffering and death, we have infinite number of opportunities to live out grace and truth. Infinite number. Why? Because the world is broken around us. 
to be agents of Christ to remedy the suffering of others, bring them before God in prayer, and become a testifying witness of Jesus. In the Latin, we, we describe the incarnation as God in media rest, in the midst of things. Reach out. Get in the midst of things. Jesus entered into the worst of what man could do to bring us the best of what God can do. And that's what he's calling us to do. If you would just say this week to two coworkers, two friends, two classmates, one day this week, I want to have lunch with you. One, we're having lunch anyway. We're on the clock. We're taking our break. We're in that break room. One day this week, we're going to talk about YouTube videos already. We're going to talk about whatever already. Just one day this week, I want to tell you a story. They will let you. You will be surprised at who lets you. And then tell them, you can even tell them, a pastor at my church told me I need to tell you a story. You can blame it on me. But when you get with them, would you just tell them how Jesus got a hold of your heart and convinced you that life according to your own morality, life according to your own will wasn't working out. It wasn't enough. You were missing something. You were unsatisfied from the purposes that God created you for. Tell them how Jesus told you you were wrong. Tell them how Jesus humbled you. Tell them how Jesus called you out. Tell them how Jesus embarrassed you and made you repent. That'll get their attention. Tell them how Jesus dignified you, filled your soul with joy and peace that you couldn't get on your own, that goes beyond every substance in the world, that only comes from the Holy Spirit. Tell somebody how it's affected your schedule, why you don't talk that way anymore, why you don't do that after work or on the weekend. Tell them. You're not your own anymore. You were bought with a price. Tell them why you spend so much time at this place. And here's where the foolishness comes in. You know, 1 Corinthians tells us that when you preach the cross, not when you preach whatever, when you preach the cross, it is the wisdom of God and foolishness to the world. In, in this part of the incarnation, reaching out to others, when that image actually becomes a cross, that's where your life becomes foolish to other people. You can go to your church and worship your God. That's great. Good for you. That's what the world will say to you. We live in America. We have freedom uh, of worship. People will, you're not going to ruffle anyone's feathers because you came to church today. You can participate in creation and enjoy what God has created for you to enjoy. You can uh, do this hobby and do that hobby in a, a way that glorifies God and a holy, as a holy human, and that will not ruffle anyone's feathers. That's fine. Good for you. But when you start emptying yourself out for others, when you humble yourself and take on the role of a servant of others, people don't get that. That becomes foolishness. And I'm not talking about the cult of niceness and kindness that's in the world. I'm talking about real love for other people that drives you to places that are uncomfortable, that drives you to act and make decisions that are not self-serving. When your budget takes a hit so that you can love the world around you and reach to somebody next to you in extravagant ways. That's where your life becomes foolish to this world. And let me say this, it's where your life becomes strange to the world. This incarnational power God in us is power for foolishness to the world. It's power to live differently. It's, it's the wisdom of God, but people are going to scratch their heads and that's what they need to do. Get their attention and disrupt you know, grace is a disruptor. It's an instigator. It starts stuff. I don't know if you have kids or maybe you were that kid with siblings that was the instigator. Just stirring things up. That's what grace is in our lives. It's not very good at lying dormant. It wants to mess with the systems of this world. And you know, when we start living that way and emptying ourselves out, people start to ask, what? Huh? Why? Strangeness that people can only attribute to Jesus, and that's actually why Christians 
were first called Christians, little Christ, because there was not a word that could explain their community of faith. There was not a word in the language of the day that could properly grasp and cover what they were doing and how they were living. They could only attribute it to that Nazarene man that lived in an upside-down way that they were following and professing. The, uh, the Rwandan pastor and writer Emmanuel Katongole, and I butchered that, I'm sorry, wrote in his book, Mere to the Church, Resurrecting Faith After Genocide in Rwanda. Um, he wrote about the way that Rwandan believers needed to redefine what Christianity is for the world around them in their nation because things were done in the name of Jesus that were unchristian. Things were done in the name of Christ that did not look like Christ at all. And he was saying, we cannot scrap the name of Jesus, but we need to present a clear and unpolluted uh, vision of who Jesus is around us. So this is what he said. We are called to be strange in the same way that the early Christian communities were strange to the world around them. The community in Antioch brought together Jews and Samaritans. What? Greeks and Romans? No way. Slaves and free people, men and women, uh-oh, in a way that was so confusing that people didn't know what to call them. So they called them Christians. The only way they knew how to describe their peculiar actions was to say that they were followers of an odd preacher from Galilee. The world is longing for such new and odd communities in our time. I pray the time is now and that the resurrection might begin in us. Amen. Before we move towards communion this morning, um, I just want to talk to you about reaching out for a moment more. And I really want to preach to you, maybe preach at you for a minute. We're, we're turning a page today. Some of you are going to stay up till midnight and kiss the one you love and all that stuff. You have a list of maybe resolutions or a word for 2023 or a big paradigm shift in how you're going to get up in the morning and your alarm clock's about to switch from what it's been this last week to what it's going to be this next week. And this will help you understand if the principle of redemption is working its way out in you, not just up and down, but out. If you... I'll just say this. Some of you are more concerned with losing five to 10 pounds than you are with reaching five to 10 people in 2023. And, and some of us aren't doing new year, new you. You're doing new year, all you. Because it's all about what you want in 2023. It's all about advancing your kingdom. If you want growth in your life that looks like that cross shape. If you want to live incarnationally, and, and let me tell you, that's the only growth that will last in your life. It's the only growth that will reach eternity to have significance that is everlasting. It's the Holy Spirit growth plan for your life. And there's only one plan. It looks like this. Entrepreneurs, when they start a business, it's all hustle and grind, hustle and grind. Those Silicon Valley startups in a garage. No one sleeps. It's built on sacrifice and ramen noodles and whatever else. It's grueling. But you know what is, is kind of cool about somebody with an entrepreneurial spirit, an organization that's in its infancy where people are coming together with one goal and there's kind of a, a, a now or never radicalization because they don't know if they're going to get to year number two. They have year one energy. Year one energy. The early church operated with that year one energy and that energy was the Holy Spirit within them. I, uh, this year, celebrated my 30-year spiritual birthday. I got saved 30 years ago. And um, the church around the world is, you know, Jesus' death and resurrection was somewhere between A.D. 30 and 36. We're about 1,990 years old as a church. Trinity, this next year, is celebrating 100 years 
uh, as, as a local church. And I am so excited about all those things. In fact, I, I plan to be first in line to blow out some candles, and, um, and I, I can't wait for celebrations that are in store for us here. But hear me when I say that you need year one energy in your heart if you will have any growth at all into this cross-shaped incarnational life. You need the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that was at work in that early church that was so devoted and so committed to the Word and to worship and, and to breaking bread with each other in their earthly spirituality, feeding their earthly bodies across a table with one another, in their witness in the world that was boldly de- declaring, this Jesus whom you crucified has life everlasting for you. That same Holy Spirit that was at work in the church Is it working you today? The same, the same spirit. I pray that each and every one of us will have year one energy about our faith. Be alive, remembering our first love, remembering that first power that came into us. God has taken territory for his kingdom, C.S. Lewis describes in Mere Christianity. Through the incarnation, it was like the beachhead at Normandy. Very British, very English uh, C.S. Lewis metaphor here, but he says, it's like the beach at Normandy when Jesus came and he planted a flag and he established a beachhead. Was, was the war over? No. But it was that first inroad to bring down the Axis powers in World War II. And it's just like that through us. Christ is established his kingdom, and he's advancing it through you and me. He's advancing it, and he's advancing it, and he's advancing it. In our worship, as we become more and more godly and connect with the Father and abide with the Father, as we root ourselves in this creation that he's given us to walk through and live in and and be an active part of, and as we reach out with self-emptying love. Would you stand with me today, and would you find communion elements in the back of the room, the front of the room, if you're watching online? Uh, Please pause and get some communion elements yourself. Our communion is an open communion. We ask that you only be a believer. Have placed your faith and surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. And as we approach the table of the Lord today, we celebrate that we serve a growing God, a God who's growing us a God who is growing his kingdom and advancing it in the world, a God that is perfecting us, working us towards perfection, conforming us to the crucifixion, a God that is convicting us with challenging things, foolish things if we don't have our mind right, things that don't make sense unless we grasp the wisdom of God. It's challenging us to live out with an incarnational mission and be an incarnational church How did we receive this glorious gift? How was a a chair pulled up to the table for you and for me today to participate in communion? Through the sacrifice of the incarnate Lord who willingly, you know, there wasn't a division between the Father and Son. There wasn't a division between the divine Son and the earthly Son where Jesus And his divinity said, this is the plan. I'll go to the cross. And the earthly son said, I'm not so sure. No. Even when he was praying in the garden, Lord, if if it's your will, take this cup from me. United for you, willingly chose, freely gave his life. Not under compulsion, but out of love. I pray that today, each and every one of us in this place could say, Lord, we love you. We thank you. We trust you place our faith in you and not in ourselves, can enjoy communion together. Let me, um, let me pray now, and, and we'll take the bread and the cup. Jesus, I thank you for every person here, God, those that even today in this place are sensing right now the Holy Spirit calling them to make a life change, not just a calendar change or a year change, but to make a life change, to admit their sin, believe in you, and choose you forever, God. Lord, I pray that in this moment they'd be able to communicate that to you. Repent, God, and receive you in their hearts, indwelling them by your Spirit forever. Lord, I I thank you for each and every one of them, and I thank you, God, 
for your, your flesh, Jesus, that you allowed to be given for us, to be tortured and humiliated. Lord, as we consider that cross shape for nails to be placed, Lord, for the crown of thorns to be placed on your head. We thank you, Jesus, and we love you. Let's take the bread together. And Lord, while we weep when we consider how you bled for us, we rejoice when we consider how you purified us, how you brought us to life by new covenant blood, God. Lord, we pray that you would, you would just uh, cover us in it, Father God, head to toe, that we wouldn't live one, one toe outside of you this year, God, but it would be all just soaked in your blood, Father God, washed in you, purified in you, Jesus. We pray that the, uh, all that your blood has purchased for us would flow in us, the growth would be accomplished in us. Lord, the, the humble serving would be stretched out in us this year. Speak to us and let that impression just rest on us, God, as we thank you and celebrate what you've done and achieved for us. In the name of Jesus, let's take the cup together. Thank you, God. Let's worship him, church. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, thank you for saying it's done. Though it's only been begun in us, we know you're going to complete it in us, God. Lord, we see, uh, as we sang this morning, Lord, we see the, the beginning and the end, Jesus. And Lord, we thank you. We thank you for using us, God, for allowing us to be your empowered church. God, let us look like you, conform to the crucifixion this year. And Lord, I pray that as we worship you this morning and as we proclaim that we will tell it on the mountain, God, as we proclaim that we will be witnesses of you, God, prove, prove redemption in us over and over again this year before a watching world. In the name of Jesus, we pray and we sing together. Amen. Let's sing today.